Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 473rd edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. You can get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Once the Metro and the rest of the SB Nation family of soccer websites. Come on in. You could chat room is open. You can talk to, talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer the best of my abilities. Just saw this a few minutes ago. It did break five hours ago. A revised World Cup qualifying setup in CONCACAF. And let me just say, while it's not ideal, it is a lot better than what they had originally Sadly, the hex is gone, but you know what? I will trade away the hex for this brand-new qualification map to Qatar in 2022, even though I still think Qatar should be stripped of the World Cup for the ill-gotten gains it has earned it. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen And we might as well just be ready for this brand new qualification cycle. Yes, it was going to be the Hex with the top six teams ranked in CONCACAF to go straight to a hexagonal for the top three spots. And then everyone else would fight against each other for a half spot in the international playoff, which I was so against. This is, without a doubt, a much better format much better situation. Obviously, it's not the stages you would expect it to be, but the way that the coronavirus has impacted qualifying for the FIFA World Cup in two summers, or shall we say in three winters, I really think this is going to be the best way to do this. It's not perfect, I understand, but let's just say... The qualification to the top three spots and then the fourth position will go to the international playoff. So in my book, this is much better than what we had originally done. And here is how it goes. In the first round, there will be 30 teams ranked 6th through 35. They will be broken into six groups of five in a seeded draw. The six highest-ranked teams right now, all through the July 16th rankings of this year in the FIFA FIFA Coca-Cola World Rankings, those nations will be El Salvador, Canada, Curaçao, Panama, Haiti, and Trinidad and Tobago will be preceded into groups A to F, respectively, and I think that's a great way to do it. Have those nations be the top seeds 
in groups A, B, C, D, E, and F. Each team will play every other team in their group once, playing a total of four matches, two home and two away. These games will be played in the FIFA match windows of October 2020 and November 2020. At the end of the first round, the six group winners will progress to the second round. The group winners will play against each other. And this is how the setup will be. Play between the group winners from the first round with the matchups predetermined as follows. Group A winner versus Group F. Group B winner versus Group E. Group C winner versus Group D. The teams will play home and away in a direct elimination format in the FIFA match window of March 2021. The three winners will progress to the final round. And that final round, eight teams. So three second-round winners will be joined with final round teams, which will be ranked one through five, Mexico, the United States, Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Honduras. The final round of the CONCACAF qualifiers for the FIFA World Cup in for Qatar of 2022 will see the three winners from the second round join the CONCACAF member associations ranked one through five, Based on the FIFA rankings of July 16th, 2020, courts that just passed, the national teams ranked one through five have already gained enough FIFA ranking points to guarantee their place in the final round prior to development of the of a new format. Now, all right, to give you the seated, uh, the final round will begin in the double FIFA match window in June of 2021, and continue in the FIFA match windows of September, October, November 2021 and January and March of 2022. So in January of 2022, no Camp Cupcake. This is for real. The eight teams will play each other home and away with each team playing 14 matches. At the end of the final round, the top three finishing teams will qualify directly to the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. The fourth place team will qualify for the FIFA International Playoffs scheduled to be played in June of 2022. Thank goodness for this change. Thank goodness for this piece of news that thankfully has come. Because I'm telling you right now, folks, the prior situation of this CONCACAF World Cup qualifying procedure with just a hex and everyone else fighting for that half spot in the international playoff was just absolutely horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. That's not how a World Cup qualifying cycle should ever be drawn up. You have stages. You build it. The drama. This was no drama. There was no drama at all. Sure, top six sides fight it out on their own, but everyone else, what are you going to do? You're just going to fight for a half spot? No. This is why you build it up. You have your first round. You have early round groups or early round knockout stages. 
And then you get to the semifinal round, which is, of course, the three groups of four, which then you fight to get into the heck, the hexagonal. And then you have the biggest fight in CONCACAF that everyone knows and loves. I thought it was over with the next cycle. No, the hex is gone. But who knows? Maybe. Maybe this is the best way to do it now. Maybe it is better to have an eight-team final round mashup. Who knows? I don't know. But right now, it is so much better this time around than what was originally done. Look, I want the United States to qualify for the World Cup every cycle. I, not, not everyone else, only I, me, me, I never, ever take World Cup qualifying for granted. Never, ever have I taken World Cup qualifying for granted. Because the one day it happened, and it did happen last cycle. You do not assume it's a cakewalk. Just because you're playing a side that had nothing to play for does not mean you give them a free shot at knocking you out. And that's what happened with the United States for the last day of qualifying, not going to Russia in 2018. Consequences that you pay when you take your opponent not seriously enough. This is what I'm talking about. This is the situation I keep discussing and I keep on stressing. Should we be going into the World Cup every single cycle? Yes. Should we assume that it's going to be an easy slice of pie? No. We are hoping right now that this is just a blip, a hiccup, a bump in the road. We cannot go back not making World Cups between 1950 and 1990. We cannot wait until we get to 2026 where we automatically go into the World Cup as a host nation. Even though we're sharing it with Canada and Mexico, we cannot wait for the next cycle as automatic guests. Excuse me, automatic hosts. We can't. Something must be done, and something must be done now. This is the qualifying cycle that Greg Berhalter must find the redemption to bring this national team back to where it belongs in the World Cup. Outside of that, that's a crapshoot that I'm not going to get to until we officially hear that we have qualified for the World Cup. Do not assume we are automatically going in. Do not assume we're in. Make sure, everybody, that you check your egos at the door, regardless if you're going to the games, regardless if you're going to a friend's house, if you're going to a watch party, you're going to the bar, you're going to a sports restaurant. 
Check your egos at the door. You just saw what happened in Trinidad and Tobago. A B team. A freaking B team was allowed to run roughshod because our players took them for granted and look happened. The point will come. It didn't come. Oh, well, we're going to go in because the other two games are being played simultaneously. They, we will get the necessary result for us to go ahead. It never came. A phantom goal was scored. But still, though, do we have to rely on the other two matches? No. You've got to do the job yourself. Once again, this is a World Cup qualifying cycle and a World Cup qualifying buildup that I like. It's not the most perfect way of things, but I'm telling you right now, it's much better than what CONCACAF originally drew up. I am excited. It feels like a proper qualification. I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I want to see us qualify. I want to see the United States qualify for the World Cup, but I don't want a gift handed to us. Because if, if you give the gift back, you're not going to go to the party. And this is a party where we need to make sure We need to make sure that there will be no issues whatsoever. Bring in the right veterans. Bring in the right young players. And I guess I'm going to have to say it. I might have to say it. But for now, I'll keep it to myself until we get there. I'm very excited about this. I'm very happy about this. I am thrilled. Thrilled. That we are going to have a proper World Cup qualification cycle. And it's going to be thrilling. I really wish it would be now, but it's not. It'll be a while. And that's fine with me. But once again, CONCACAF has done the right thing. Victor Montagliani, president of CONCACAF, has done the right thing. I am excited and thrilled that we have a better qualification cycle than normal. I'm just very happy about it. And you know what? For goodness sakes, let's get it on. Let's have some fun. Let's do this. And we are going to have ourselves a wonderful time. Ladies and gentlemen, great show for you tonight. Uh, Later on, Gary Redman, Red Bulls News Network, will talk about the Red Bulls crashing out of the MLS's back tournament. Later on, I will talk about uh, the situation in Atlanta United with Frank DeBoer and the club parting ways. But joining me right now tonight, uh, very happy to have this gentleman on, my first ever guest from USL League One, not counting the Open Cup shows. I'm very excited to have on the assistant coach of Greenville Triumph. And this is Mr. Rick Wright joining me tonight, assistant coach of Greenville Triumph of USL League One. Rick, good evening. How are you tonight? And what is going on, sir? Doing great. Thank you for having me on. And uh, just kind of waiting out a little thunderstorm here in Greenville, South Carolina. 
So, well, um, well, you know, excited to be on. Thank you. It's great to have you on to just to talk about Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, obviously, South Carolina, uh, great soccer history. We all know what the Charleston Battery has done uh, all those years in the United Soccer Leagues, including in the Championship League, a, uh, a USL title con- uh, holders, and, of course, uh, made the Open Cup final a long time ago against D.C. United RFK Stadium. What is, how is Greenville taken to this triumph side that uh, has probably piqued a lot of interest since the USL League One got started last year? Well, well, you know, like you say, Greenville does have a really good, great soccer history. College-wise, down the road, we've got Clemson, obviously two-time national champion, champions. We've got Furman, uh, located right in Greenville with a great soccer history, good, good staff there, led by Doug Allison. Um, so when the Triumph were introduced to Greenville, there was a great deal of excitement. And then you throw into the mix, the, the ownership went really, really out and, and got a great, great coach like John Harts, who brings a tremendous soccer pedigree to our organization. And um, it, it's exciting. It's exciting. It really is. And, of course, this situation with the pandemic has really thrown a curveball at us. But uh, we're doing the best we can, and I think that uh, once we can get through this, I think it's going to be even uh, greater excitement for this particular area. What's it like to work with a World Cup legend, an American soccer legend, a living legend like John Harkes, obviously. We all know what he's done in the game, of course. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the 94 World Cup that finally came over to the United States, of course, starting off in 1990 uh, with that big run. Um, and then, of course, uh, uh, playing for D.C. United and winning those first uh, MLS Cup championships. What's it like to work with a guy like John Harkes? Well, well, first of all, uh, he's incredibly easy to work with. Um, he really does, does give a lot of responsibility to the staff members. I'm only a part-time assistant. Alex Blackburn is our full-time assistant, and it's really amazing. John gives him a lot of freedom in putting together the, the, the ideas of how we're going to go forward in training. But, of course, John has such a great history as a player but it's really amazing how he interacts with the players, with, with the coaching staff. It, it, it's really been a very um, eye-opening and a great learning curve for me. And, I, and I'm a fairly old guy. I've been around the game for a long, long time. And um, it, it amazes me sometimes. And he's really at his best when things are not going well. When things are not going well for us, he really is able to – pull the players together, pull the staff together, and we, we, it, it really is amazing. Last year was a tremendous uh, experience for us, and it, it was really re- was a great eye-opening experience for us. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to work with him on a daily basis. It really is. And, of course, you played in the, the original North American Soccer League as well. You were part of the Chicago Sting. What was that like uh, to be in the United States – well, obviously, well before MLS uh, was started, but you had these teams. You know, everyone remembers the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, the LA Aztecs, of course, the New York Cosmos that were around, the Boston Minutemen, the uh, um, the Washington Diplomats. What was that like to take on? You know, all these teams back in the day, and and some of those world class players back in the day as well. Well, let let me tell you this: it's really been. Um... 
I have been very blessed with my soccer career. I am originally a native of Bermuda. So from a very early age, I was exposed to some really amazing coaches. For example, when I first got involved with the national team program there, I had the, uh, uh, I guess, the luxury or the, or the good luck of the very first foreign coach that they brought in was a guy named Detmar Kramer, who was, you know, Beckenbauer's coach and, and from Germany. And so I was able to, to really be exposed to some amazing coaches, and I had the fortune of, of being involved with the national team program there. But really my, my soccer development started when I came to the U.S., and, and I went to a very small NAIA school in um, South Carolina, due west South Carolina, Erskine College. Um, I played for a, a guy um, who's probably a, a living legend today. He's just retired, Ralph Lundy, who um, was at Erskine, and then he went to the College of Charleston. But, um, but being you know, drafted into the North American Soccer League, it was when the league was actually getting ready to fall apart. So it was mm. a, a very interesting time because the coach of the, of, of the Chicago Sting was a guy named Willie Roy. And I'll never forget it. That, you know, I, I met them uh, in Atlanta after I'd gotten drafted, and he was very candid and said, you know, the chances are the league's not going to be around very long. So I was really coming in and at the very end. Um, and um, so I, I really didn't stay with them very long. And then I did play in the old ASL uh, with the Carolina Lightning. I was Carolina Lightning. I was drafted there as well um, and played with them just for one year and realized that professional soccer was really not going to be a, um, a meaningful career for me. So I was fortunate enough to get into college coaching when I was only 24 years old, 23 years old. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting time. But the North American Soccer League was exciting. When I was in college, I had the opportunity to go and actually spend a week with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Um, a, uh, an assistant coach of ours at Erskine was a gentleman by the name of Van Taylor, who was a goalkeeper with the Strikers. Um, and that was at a time when they had Gordon Banks as the number one keeper, you know, and so it was an amazing uh, time with them as well to spend a week with Ron Newman and, and the coaching staff there. So, um, yeah, it, um, it, I have seen the game grow tremendously. Um, and the MLS is an amazing uh, entity that we have right now in our, in our, you know, in our country soccer history. And I have to ask you, though, USL League One, uh, it's growing as well. It looks like it's getting some uh, more teams every single season. I know last year in the inaugural year of USL League One, Greenville made it to the finals, unfortunately could not get the big trophy. But what was it about that ride for Greenville Triumph that makes you thought that not counting the pandemic, I mean, obviously we're glad that everyone is healthy and everything, but in your mind, uh, what what was about Greenville last year that said to you this year we're going to try and get back to that final championship game again? I think one of the biggest things is number one, John's attitude and his desire to compete. Obviously, like you say, he you know competed at the very highest level, but it's an infectious competition, and, I, and I'm a pretty competitive guy myself. And and I, like I said, Alex, our other assistant, is very competitive. But being on board with the Triumph from the very start and watching how John and we were able to put this team together, it really is uh, an, an opportunity that's very special from the standpoint that John has great vision. He knows what he wants to do. And the biggest thing is, is that he has developed a culture in the club 
And, and if he said it once, he said it a bazillion times. We are a pro soccer club. We're not an amateur club. We're not a wanting to be a pro soccer club. We are a pro soccer club. So you better act like a pro. And those guidelines are, are laid down from the very beginning. And it's an incredible, it really is an incredible experience to be in there on a day to day basis. Um, and John has instilled a tremendous amount of pride in every single one of us from the, our athletic trainer, our you know equipment manager, our soccer operations. I mean, everybody has this incredible desire to be successful, and we're going to do it correctly. We're going to do it right, and um, and we're hell bent on getting back to the final. Um, and this time, win it. We should have won it last time, but we want to win it again this time. We want to win it again. Mm-hmm. No, I don't blame you at all. I mean, if you got such a great squad and a, and a very good head coach and John Harks, I don't blame you at all. And hopefully. Uh, and uh, obviously the season has finally gotten started, and uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. Um, you got some great teams in this league. Obviously, you have about uh, five teams that are owned by MLS squads. You got FC Tucson that is officially owned by Phoenix Rising of USL Championship. But you have these other sides that are really looking solid. You got Chattanooga Red Wolves, Forward Madison FC, uh, the Richmond Kickers, a historical rich club from Virginia. South Georgia Tormenta. Uh, have you played Union Omaha yet? And if you haven't, what is going to be exciting about this club that you're going to take on from Omaha, Nebraska? Well, you know, we have not played them yet. Um, and um, so I just know that one of the things that's so exciting about it is, you know, we've got Tyler Pollock on our team who is from Omaha. And so, you know, he's been able to basically just stir the pot a little bit, you know, because – Nobody wants to go back to their hometown and lose. So, um, yeah, it, it's pretty exciting. But you, you said you, – I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about there are so many good teams in this league, and they are. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. And that's why, you know, we, we are very diligent in making sure that we don't look too far ahead. We want to just make sure that we are – constantly preparing for our next opponent and we're making the adjustments we need to do and and hopefully we'll be able to uh, be in a situation where our guys can perform at their best level every single week absolutely and you got to go after it if you want the top prize i want to ask you a personal question if you don't mind and this will not be dedicated towards greenville i want to ask you as a native bermudan about the Concacaf nations league have you been uh, in favor of this CONCACAF Nations League? Have you enjoyed the added amount of pressure for Bermuda and their soccer program to at least improve on the national team level? I mean, obviously there was the Copa Caribe, uh, the Caribbean Cup that has always been once every two years uh, for fighting for the Gold Cup. Uh, to see this Nations League happen uh, the last year or so, are you convinced or do you feel better that Bermuda now has more of a chance to fight for a spot in future Gold Cup tournaments? I, I, I think it's a good opportunity for Bermuda, yes. I think historically Bermuda has been in a situation where they've not played enough games. There's not been enough competitions for them. Um, they're not real keen on doing a lot of friendlies. Now, when I was growing up, we did play a lot of friendlies. We had a lot of English teams coming in at Christmas time, for example, and we would play against some of the old English first division teams and things like that. 
But there was a lull for quite a few years where there was really no competition. There was nothing for the Bermuda you know, national team to play for. And um, it's it really – it was an enigma for to me because I've been in the U.S. for so long now that I never could quite figure it out. But now – You've got this opportunity, and you've got some really good pros. You've got Nucky Wells, you know. You got Deontay um, Brangman, who is one of our. Uh, excuse me, Devante Leverock, who is one of our, you know, our national team captains. Um, we've got some really good pros out there, and they are striving for more competition to represent, uh, you know, the Gumbay Warriors. And um, and I think they did a really good job at the last Gold Cup, the first ever. Um, gave a great performance, um, and I know that the uh, enthusiasm on the island was very high. And um, I, yeah, I think it's been a great opportunity for for the boys to get exposure, to get competition. Um, uh, so yeah, I think it's been good. I think it's been really good. Let me throw this out at you to see what Curacao did in the Gold Cup last year. Does that give you hope that maybe Bermuda could be that team that could surprise? the next tournament in 2021. And at the same time, with now that we have news of the new FIFA World Cup qualifying uh, setup in CONCACAF, do you feel possibly that maybe Bermuda could become uh, a dark horse, uh, a sleeper that no one would be expecting? I, I think that if I didn't say yes, I think my countrymen would be very disappointed in me. Um, Bermudians are very proud, um, <laughs> very proud. And, um, you know, if you look at the history of Bermuda football soccer, we've had some tremendous pros. You know, one of the groundbreaking pros going to England was Clyde Best. You know, one of the very first black Bermudians to ever play over in England. And, you know, he is still a very loud voice in Bermuda for our game there. Then you look at a guy like Sean Goder. Goder was, you know, a great player for quite a few teams in England. Obviously, he made his biggest impact with Manchester City, um, who's now he's back in the, in Great Britain, but trying his best to get local Bermudian boys over to England, over to Europe, to get that exposure. You know, um, we've got Nucky Wells over there uh, now with Bristol City and and doing really well. But um, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it'll be a great opportunity for. Bermuda, we'd love to be a dark horse. Um, they are very passionate about the game there. You know, it's a very small country. People forget it's only sixty-six odd thousand people there, twenty-one square miles of real estate. You know, it's it's they do very well um, considering all those uh, limitations. You know, so but uh, but yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I really do. I hope That's we can get a couple of little, yeah, I hope we can get a, a little mm-hmm. thing going with the triumph. I think there's some players that might do us some some good, and I think it'll be a great opportunity maybe uh, next year to go over for a preseason uh, training stint over there. So yeah, we're we're, um, we're we're excited to help development, and I think there'll be some good players coming out of there. Thank you very much, Mr. Wright, for joining me tonight. Uh, hope good luck with the second season with Greenville Triumph of USL League One. Can't wait to hear more about what goes on over there, and uh, you have a good evening, and take care. You too, and once this thing stops, you know, gets over with this pandemic thing, come down and visit us. Come and watch a game. You better believe it. That's not a problem. Okay. You got it. All right, well, just let have us a know. Good take care. I, I definitely will. You take care as well. Bye-bye now. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. And that is uh, assistant, uh, part-time assistant coach uh, Mr. Rick Wright. Greenville Triumph, as uh, 
You know, you got to learn about all the clubs in all of our leagues, and especially over in South Carolina. It's not just Charleston, it's Greenville as well. Joining me right now to talk about, of course, the situation with the New York Red Bulls, it is Mr. Gary Redman of Red Bulls News Network. A, a very, very sad moment uh, to see the New York Red Bulls going three and out in this tournament to try and get back into the swing of things after this league was shut down for four to five months. Mr. Redman, have not seen you or talked to you in such a long time. How are you, sir? It's been a while, sir. It's been too long. <laughs> um, but uh, it's good to be back, and it's good to be back talking with you. It's great to be talking with you as well, Gary. I guess we just have to get down to brass taxes. I have to admit that um, I wasn't expecting the Red Bulls to be bounced like that. Now, you know, if you want to go straight to the third game, I understand because, listen, when you have a guy in Yapstam who is let's just let's just just be honest with ourselves here. He has managed in the in the Netherlands. He has managed in England. He has managed in Italy. He has been a world-class center back for Manchester United, a three-time Premier League trophy winner, and part of the Dutch national team. He has a resume, basically. You would like um, world-class. It's, it's so he, he definitely world-class. has he definitely has mm. knowledge in the game. So he can definitely school some kids how basically how to play the right way. Um, exactly. He had a game plan that 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 game, he had a playing uh, game plan in that uh, that third game, basically, park the bus, wait for the mistakes to happen. When the mistakes happen on the other team, make him pay for it. A problem. It worked to profession. I mean to perfection. I mean I can't That's say it. this enough. Um, when you have a club that is not tactically sound like uh, the New York Red Bulls, um, mistakes bound to happen. I mean, we already saw this Mm -hmm. with the game that Cincinnati played previously. Waited for mistakes. When they happened, punished them, make them pay. I'm not certain why anybody would be surprised to see that, but when fundamental problems manifest themselves this is what you get this is what you see um something i want to point out um one of our dear members um she uh she is a goddess among the members here at the red bull discussion group and one of so far one of my you know, one of our closest friends ansley bender okay she made a point of the number of points after five games. Now, we, the, the Red Bulls have only played five games this season. That's it. That's um, very true. In 2015, 2016, three points. 2017, seven points. 2018, nine points. Excuse me, I skipped the year. 2018, nine points. 2019, four points. And in this season, with a record of two wins, one draw, Two losses, a whopping seven points. Now, the only seasons where they had more points in this part of the, a point of the season in the last five years were the seasons that the team has won the Supporters' Shield. However, 
the fans don't care about supporter shields, let alone how many points that we've amassed during those years. What they do remember was five years ago when this club was basically knocking on the door for being contenders of a championship. Those were the most exciting years that this fan base has witnessed. And for the most part, this was a progression to something great. Since then, we've slid backwards. And when I mean backwards, I mean... I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's been garbage. Mm -hmm. Um, The style of play has been ridiculous. Um, Tactically unsound. uh, Making mistakes all over the field. I mean, this was not Red Bull football that people were accustomed to. Um, When you you talk about building a team, and this was in the, you know, um, where your sporting director, namely um, Dennis Hamlet, and your new head coach is supposed to be on the same page. They signed players that, for the most part, didn't have the fan base going, wow, this is going to be a great year. I want to spend money to see this ball of play, see if take my team to the top. We haven't re- we haven't. Um, Sign that player. Um, if we did, they were mostly from the USL team. Not bad for death, but you don't put these guys in the starting lineup and expect to see the second coming. Let's <laughs> see, uh, see the second coming of Tyler Adams, who was a once-in-a-lifetime generational player. You only get that type of player once in a blue moon, but. You still have to spend money to get quality players. And this is the crux argument of what the fans are going through. There are, they're very leery of a team that's not going to go out and invest, yet they see their strongest rivals and other teams go out and get better players. And in turn, we get lapped by them with better rosters compared to ones that we have. I'm not knocking the players that we have. They try their best, but they're simply just not there. They're not prime time there. To put it very simply, okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you the statistics sheet, okay? Here mm-hmm. are your leading scorers going into 2020. Kyle Duncan, Florian Velo, Kaku, Daniel Royer, Christian Caceres Jr. That's it. Those are your scores. Mind you, only one of those gentlemen is a defender, Kyle Duncan. Going into 2020, one of my questions to the group and even the RBNN was wondering out loud, where are the goals are going to come from now that you sent BWP packing, who is, as we speak, scoring goals for LAFC. Now, mind you, LAFC is a much better club on the roster-wise than we are, and he's getting brilliant passes served up 
better than a <laughs> better than a waitress at a five star restaurant. But you have no you know no one in the forwards haven't even bulged the net. Not Matthias Jorgensen. Um, and not you know uh, Brian White, Tom Barlow. Nothing wrong with those guys except. Mr. Jorgensen signed a $2 million, $2 million contract. Where is he? I haven't seen him in 2020. Barlow, White, they're starters, but they often disappear with teams with better defenders. This isn't getting it done. This isn't working. As far as the tactical and you know, practical problems that this team is facing, You've had some fans who've never coached a game uh, outside of maybe playing a video game in FIFA has never, you know, been a head coach in any capacity, and yet they pick out the mistakes that it's often made by, you know, often made by, uh, by Armis. It's just shocking. It's, this is something that should not happen, but yet it's happening. Despite the modicum of success that this team has experienced in the last decade, the simple fact that this team has not kept up with the elite squads, MLS, is shocking, not to mention galling. And that is the reason why you're hearing a lot of yelling, screaming, cursing, by among the fan base as they sit at home and watch their rivals attain success while their favorite club is sitting at home waiting for the regular season to begin. Mr. Furistine, the stage is now yours. (laughs) Well, let me just say this, and, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing with the fans. I mean, we all see what's going on here. And the one thing I always said, the one thing I've said about this, because obviously, who would have thought Bradley Wright Phillips would have had a groin issue um, for the entire 2019 season? I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Nope. I mean, no many would have thought many. No one did. Many thought it would have been a, uh, uh, you know, maybe he's starting to get older. Maybe it's the old age that's finally caught up to him. Maybe he's just not the type of player that he used to be. And my opinion of that was well if it's a groin injury well then guess what even if he did come back which he did he still wouldn't be at 100 percent because he still no which he did but he but he's still not 100 percent last year because you're still you know recovering from the effects of a groin issue groin issues you know this as well as i do gary groin issues are the worst injuries a professional athlete can have because it's not connected next to, to a ACL, bone. Next to ACL, next to blown ACL injuries. Yeah, that's right up there, one and exactly. two. It's, exactly. So my feeling is, at the time, I said to myself, they cannot let him go. I knew, we all knew the contract was up at the end of, at the end of last year. I felt another like you cannot let him go. I told you this. I you said, give did, him another year. Yes. Another year. I agreed with you. We, we we're both on the same page. We're both agreeing. We have to give him another year to at least redeem himself, and then whatever you want to do after 2020, Fair it's game. up to you. It's up to him. Fair game. But 
the truth is, and, and I agree with you, I like Brian. I like Barlow. Barlow, I'll say this. I know Brian picked up an injury before the first game against Atlanta in yeah. the MLS's back tournament, but Tom is not ready. I personally feel that Tom Barlow, as good of a player as he was last year when he, when he slid in there, the truth is that Tom is not ready to make a huge step. Now, if you want to call it uh, sophomore slump, fine. You, do, you say whatever you want. But the truth is, is that that was such a huge jump for Barlow. No one knew yeah. who he was. All you knew is he was They're going into the wading pool into the ocean. I mean, nah. You're not going to expect him exactly. to score double-digit goals for you. It's not going to happen. No. Um, no, the it's defenders not. And, of U- and when you yeah, got Brian defenders White, of USL are not, had Brian in, are not in the elite class um, in no, Major League yet. Soccer. And that's just that's – just, that's not really putting it in, in the strength. The defenders in Major League Soccer are – Bigger, faster, and they hit yes. hard. Okay, yes. they're very oh, physical. Yes. So absolutely, if they can body you out of the box and they can basically right. remove you from the ball, you're not working hard enough. And it's that, and I've seen That's that right. happen time after time after time. Even with BWP slowed down enough for where the defenders would catch up to him. That was the start. That was the, the game plan. Body him. Be physical. Don't try to kill him or get a stupid, you know, card or or, or, or free kick or set piece. But make him right. aware that no matter where you're going, I'm going to be in your face. You're not going to see the right. ball. And if you do, I'm going to remind you that I'm there. That's how defenders work in Major League Soccer. This is why I said if we're going to get a forward, other than Bradley, Get somebody that can that can bulldog the defenders. The one person that I had in mind, a lot of people said, "Hey, I don't like him because he messed around with uh, with Robles, Orlando." Um, I forgot his name right off the bat already. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Orlando's <laughs> number one, you know, striker. He's a Mueller. Nope, not Mueller. No, 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 not him. Um, ah, uh, what's that? What's uh, no, no, no. What's that? What's that kid's name? Um, why am I? If I can't remember him, I can't. <laughs> I can't say it. But he was the one that uh, he likes to be physical with with goalkeeper with, uh, with goalkeepers, and it was noticeable to me because that's the style of play he is. He's not flashy. He's not. Um, Oh, you're talking about Dom Dwyer, aren't you? Dom Dwyer. He's he runs a straight line. He's a bull in a china shop. But that's what you need. Yep. He gets the ball, puts his head down, and it's get out of my way. Either I'm going to run into you or you're going to get hurt. Now, that that type of style may not work maybe 60% of the time, but here's the deal. When you have wingers like we have, that's going to free somebody up off a rebound, mm-hmm. and maybe a scoring chance. And that the type of style that we employ, where we have numbers behind the, uh, behind the ball, excuse me, uh, behind the ball, in the middle of all those defenders, this, he's a type of attacker that warrants it. Why don't we get a guy like him? We have it. It's a little disheartening 
um, not to mention frustrating, where you have just about every team in the league as a bona fide striker, okay? Basically, I would refer to as your home run hitter. And we, and when I say we, the Red Bulls don't. It's, um, it's a little bothersome. Um, to say the say the least, and I'm being and I'm being very kind here. Um, you win a curse at the ownership, um, and that's fair and that's fine. Um, I'm going to basically admit something that some that even now and then I don't like to admit to it. I am a bona fide diehard Knicks fan. <laughs> okay, if that's hard to believe, no, anyone left. <laughs> okay, um, one man has ruined it for me as far as the experience that's of right. being such a fan. James, that's right, Lawrence Dolan. Okay, he knew his middle he two. That's reason, amazing. He is the reason why I haven't set foot in Madison Square Garden in fourteen years. He is the reason why the Knicks has become from one of the established clubs in the, in the National Basketball Association to a joke of a franchise. You want to talk about toxic. Nobody wants to play for those guys. Nobody. No superstar wants to play for them. They've gone to multiple coaches. Many of them, Hall of Famers, and they couldn't get it done. No way they can get it done. Not when you have an owner who meddles in what you're trying to do. I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're at that level yet. No, no. But you can't argue that the differences between clubs who are standalone and we um, – and the, and the Red Bull, the New York Red Bulls, are one club among many to this ownership. They, you know, you can see where their priorities lie. And for the fans who show up, and I give my heart to them, and I love them one and all, okay, regardless of everything, they show up at the arena. But the people that I'm concerned about are the ones that are not there, the ones who have spoken with their absence. These are the ones that mm-hmm. had season tickets once upon a time, and they tell me personally, they tell me, Gah, I haven't renewed my season tickets. I don't see this team being nothing more than a JV squad. I don't see this team having any chance, you know, championship aspirations. And it's very hard for me to argue with that because if you look at the eye test and you look how this team performs, that on a good night they'll win some games, but they're not going to win games that would establish them as championship contenders. And there's your concern. And that's exactly. the problem and that Red Bull fans face now. Like I said, less mm-hmm. than three years ago, we were talking about championships. We were talking about 
winning CCL games. How far we've been falling. Since then, we've been a shell of our former self. We've seen glimmers, flashes of glimmers of greatness, but it's all too fleeting. And with a fan base that has been starved for anything that resembles a championship squad, it's very hard for you to argue how they feel, and they will voice their opinions loudly. Um, some will say that it's, uh, it's a very unhealthy expectation, but it's an expectation nonetheless. Why should they feel that they should suffer anything less? And that's how I feel. But let's just, but let's just stress this for a second here. We're not saying okay. that we are not let, – let's just say this right now. We're not stressing that we are against – these kids that have been playing in the academy, not. the USL League no. Two team, or in the fact, USL Championship team, to... exactly. No, listen. I look, love it, but it understand. should not be their we own. Un... It's not should not be their own. Exactly. Option. That's what I was getting. That's, that's getting. my no, problem. I, that's, that's where I was going about to get to. Exactly. About. It should not exactly. be the only option. If you're trying to tell me that the only players that you can able to acquire and sign are ones from your lower, your, your, your direct USL, you know, USL contact, then somebody is not doing their job. I'm sorry. Somebody needs to go. Even my girlfriend, who not, is not a fan of this club whatsoever, she asked me a very simple question. Hey, your sporting director, he's Costa, Re- he's Costa Rican, correct? Yeah. You're trying to tell me he couldn't get any of those players on your club? He couldn't get these guys to even take a look or come by in training? None of those guys? Uh, no. You got a problem. I'm afraid there's no Wanchope. There's, there's no Wanchope uh, available right now. <laughs> I mean, she's, yeah, and that's what I, told, I don't think any of those guys are available. And more importantly, I don't think those guys will want to come here. That's the perception that you currently have that nobody wants to come here. That's part of the problem. And many of these megawatt superstars, why would they want to come to MLS? Which is one, maybe two steps down to where you're trying to get them from. Many of these young ballers, they want to go to the they want to go to Premier League. They want to go to um, Serie A. They want to go to La Liga okay, and showcase their skills. Major League Soccer, Stage is not quite big as most people think. They have to, you know, they have to make, you know, keep that in consideration. But still, you got to, you know, there are a lot of second-tier ballers out there who, if you pay them enough, will come. And, you know, as long as you can guarantee them a starting shot, a starting job, you know, will come here. And... That's part of the problem. If you're not going to spend, if you're, you know, Red Bull, if you're going to tell fans that you're going to be nothing more than a development club, don't complain when the arena is half full and you're putting tarps on seats. I'd rather have empty seats than tarps on seats than putting tarps on them because to me, mm-hmm. you're waving a white flag. You're, you're just saying, mm-hmm. you know what? We know fans are not going to make it, so the hell with it. We'll just cover those seats. That's hurtful for me as a person um, who has season tickets. I'm thinking very seriously and not renewing myself. I'm willing to give this organization a chance. And I say that, you know, as a supporter, because 
Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the one to say give up and then things start happening again. But at the same token, they got to do something. Um, I'm hoping that Selwell, the, the person that they brought in who did a masterful job um, at Wolverhampton, can turn this around. He said that this is a big club. He said that there is no rebuilding year. Great. Put your money where you're working. You know, put your money where your mouth is and give these fans some hope. Give these fans a reason to get excited. 2020, there was a lot of apprehension. There was a lot of, okay, will they or won't they, you know, angst about signing players where every time a Twitter feed goes off, you see a team making an announcement that we signed so-and-so. We got Thierry Henry as coach from Montreal and on and on and on and on. And the Red Bulls, radio silence. Okay, that's their modus operandi, and I'm not blaming them for that. But the last thing you want to do going into a season when you, you should be generating excitement, generating hope, generating something that makes you a real reason why you want to come to the arena in the first place, and you offer nothing. And the fans of both. Let me just throw feet. a curveball at you. Let me just throw a curveball at you. Let's just say for the hell of it, okay? Let's just say for the hell of it. This pandemic never happened. And okay. let's just say out of, out of the blue, let's just say that if the four and a half to five months between the draw at Rio Tinto up okay. till, you know, supposedly the uh, MLS's back tournament starts with that 1-0 win against Atlanta – what would have happened if they're on a roll and this whole thing never happened, this whole separation never happened because of the pandemic? Do you believe they would still regress to this point, or do you think they would have been on a roll? They would be on a roll, but they would still regress. If you take a look at that roster, you'll see why. Um, it's not mm-hmm. deep enough. Um, that may work against the teams who – as you and I both know, are lower-level clubs, and then there are elite mm-hmm. teams, the Atlantas, the Columbuses. We're not going to say Columbus because you, when you look at their roster, you can just see how they are. Um, mm-hmm. The LA Galaxies, the LAFCs, even NYFC, there are a better class than we are. Okay, I'm talking about competing against those clubs. Can you win against those clubs? I don't want a team that can win games. We want a team that can win the East. You win the East, you're playing for MLS Cup. That's what fans want to see. And if they see a team that's got to fight their way against FC Cincinnati, get dragged down to a draw against Real Salt Lake, (laughs) and so on, lose games that they're not supposed to, Okay, for a variety of reasons, you can't help agree when they voice their strong opinions about the club that they follow. Make no mistake, and let's be clear, they don't hate this team. They just hate the way they play right now. They're not right. building any confidence for them going forward. Um, and even that, that should send alarms. Let's just set alarms throughout the you know the front office. Like okay, it's 
bad enough that fans think we stink, but if we played in if that fit their opinion, things have to change. Right. So I agree with you. And we'll see what if happens. The pandemic happens. was mm-hmm. right, and we. I agree with you. If the pandemic hadn't happened and we got on the roll, it would have a placebo effect. Great until we run until we run into that eventual brick wall against a very good side, and let's just see how good we are. Did that role is legit, or is it a you know, or is it a fool's errand that will that has masked a lot of the errors that you see um, in the roster? The fan base yeah. of the New York Red Bulls they may be salty, they may be, you know. There may be, you, know, you won't, you know, there may be a lot of the negative uh, objectives from other teams and other fan bases. Yep. You may want to throw at them. But one thing they're not is stupid. They know what That's a championship right. team looks like and feels like. And right now, they don't see it. That's right. We are the smartest fans in all of sports. Doesn't matter what sport it is. We all know something when it's uh, not looking like what it used to look like back in the day. Well, Mr. Not too Redmond, long ago. I appreciate <laughs> That's right. It's not that long ago. But listen, hopefully, uh, hopefully Dennis Hamlet, who is the sporting director of the club, and now Kevin Thelwell, who is the head of sport for the club, uh, hopefully they hear this, and hopefully they'll help out Chris Armis, and we'll see what happens. So. Thank you for jumping well, on tonight, Gary. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. It's been my ple- both my pleasure and my honor, sir. Always good to see you. Again. All right. So, it's always great to see you talk in the press box. You. <laughs> whenever we get there. <laughs> yeah, whenever we get there. <laughs> whenever we get there. Take care. All Be right. Safe. You too. I will. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Gary Redman, Red Bulls News Network talking about the New York Red Bulls and the issues that are plaguing the club. Now, uh, we are going to talk, I'll talk about the whole Atlanta United situation. You know, I was shocked, very, very shocked to hear about um, Atlanta United um, and uh, head coach Frank DeBoer parting ways. What happened there, I don't know. It could be maybe the players uh, had an uproar. Maybe he felt uh, because of this whole pandemic situation, he was his family couldn't come over to uh, you know be with him while uh, they're trying to perform. But to see them going three and out in this tournament as well was very shocking. I mean, look, the Red Bulls beat them one nil. Could have been four five nil in that match, but the truth is that Atlanta has not looked like themselves since the injury to Josef Martinez. Barco, Pitti Martinez, not themselves either. There is a problem with Atlanta United right now. Was that all on De Boer, or just the circumstances because of an injury? to uh, Joseph Martinez that has kicked him out for the rest of the season because of that torn ACL injury. All I can tell you is that I was shocked when I heard the news. 
And to see on Twitter fans complaining still, saying they're happy he's gone. Atlanta, some Atlanta United fans complaining about how happy he's gone, how happy he's not there anymore. The man won you a U.S. Open Cup championship. The man won you a Campeones Cup. Okay, you fell short in the Almost Cup playoffs, but still, though, you're not going to have Tata Martino returning unless he wants to come back to Atlanta. And right now, he doesn't want to go back to Atlanta. He wants to coach a national team. He's a, he would rather coach a national team than a club team. And Tata Martino right now is with the Mexican national team, as they will be a powerhouse for a good while when he will be there. What they do in the World Cup, we don't know. But I'm telling you right now, telling you right now, and you have to understand this, Atlanta United fans. If you're going to bring over a head coach to make the club better, well, you know what? You can't just complain because he's not Tata Martino. I mean, are, do you? I mean, what type of club? Do you, what type of manager are you looking for? A South American manager? A Mexican manager? Are you looking for an Englishman? Do you want an American head coach? You didn't think the Dutch style would fit? Atlanta United, I mean, if you have an issue, fine. But if you're, like, begging for someone to get fired, I mean, come on. That's wrong. Tata Martino is not coming back. He may be in Mexico for a good long time if he pushes them past the second round. Because once again, ladies and gentlemen in Atlanta, you have problems. And it cannot be because one man is the cog that runs the machine. That's why you brought over Barco. That's why you brought over Pitti Martinez. That's why you brought over better players. Almiron is not coming back. He's going to stay at Newcastle. Hell, he may go to La Liga. You never know. But the truth is, beggars cannot be choosers. I don't care if you're just going to say you're still going to be with this club. I'm glad Frank DeBoer is gone. This is what I wanted. This is what I hoped for. You can't go that route. Beggars cannot be choosers. And that is what you're acting like. He got you a cup title. And it doesn't matter if... The Open Cup is a level lower than the MLS Cup. To me, any and every Cup title means something. It means something. So what's the problem? You have won three championships in two years. MLS Cup title, U.S. Open Cup title, Campione's Cup title. There was a pandemic that separated the amount of months, same problems the Red Bulls have, that you have the same problems that you have. And a pandemic separated the season. After match number two, four to five months, no games, and then you go into the MLS's back tournament. 
All I can tell you is this. If you get somebody better, good for you. I know there's probably another head coach right now on an interim basis, but you know what? If you get somebody that's much better, it's probably going to be for next year anyway. Still, though, beggars cannot be choosers. This is only year four. And you've already demanded that DeBoer is gone? It's kind of a bit selfish, don't you think? You should be grateful. Grateful that Atlanta United is a club that was looking for titles from the get-go. This is world football, Atlanta United supporters. You're going to have coaches that are going to come in, be there for a couple of years, and some of them want to go somewhere else. They want to be uh, on a national team because it fits their, their style. There are those managers that don't want to be a club manager week in, week out. Tata Martino wanted freedom to be a national team head coach, the scout. And when the international windows come, then that, that's their time to prepare and game plan. So we're going to have to wait and see what's going to happen. But other than that, other than that, I am disappointed in some of the attitudes by some of the Atlanta United supporters. Do I have a right to say it? No, probably not. But the truth is, is that as an American soccer show, which means this is a national show as well, you should be grateful for the championships you have won. And you should understand what is going on when a club is trying to bring in a new head coach to continue the success that you've been striving for. That's all I got to say about that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this will do it for tonight's show. This coming Tuesday night, the ENPSL final will be on. Uh, if you go to Facebook or Twitter for uh, Las Vegas Legends and or uh, Central Florida Panthers, Central Florida SC Panthers, even the NPSL website, NPSL Twitter as well, and Facebook. And then on Wednesday night, we'll talk to the champion on the show, on the NPSL soccer show. And then we'll see if we can talk some more, <coughs> excuse me, this week of World Cup qualifying restructured by CONCACAF. Like I said, it's not perfect. Not perfect. But it's better than what they originally drew up before this pandemic hit. I want to thank my guests tonight, of course, Gary Redman, Red Bull News Network, and, of course, Rick Wright, part-time assistant coach of Greenville Triumph in USL League One. This is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for talking to me and listening to me tonight. Please take care. Please be safe. And as always, please enjoy your football. Take care. So long, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>